Hello, my name is Ben. And I'm Nora. And we are your hosts of the Too Vague Podcast this week. Nora, how's Chicago? Well, really cold today. Yeah. We didn't get as much snow as they said we were going to. You know, we were supposed to have a big storm, a snowstorm. Yeah. But uh, there's not that much out there. So, but it's cold and getting colder. So when you have these big snowstorms, you just stay indoors most of the time? Is that yes. what? You bet. I went out today that because I looked and the sidewalks were clear. Mm-hmm. So I went out and um, I, I I walk in the uh, cold, Yeah. but I had my earmuffs on. I had my gauntlets. There are new things I have gauntlets that go under my gloves. They keep my arms warm. Are they called gauntlets or do you just call them gauntlets? Well, I think they're really called that, but I'm not sure. Because when I think of gauntlets, I think throw down the gauntlet. I think an actual, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's an arm piece, though, I think, yeah. uh, with the, with the um, hand attached. But I'm <laughs> glove. When did you get removable hands? <laughs> the bionic old woman. Uh, yes, yeah. exactly. Like Luke Skywalker, but, you know, yeah. you wouldn't understand the Luke Skywalker reference, but his hand was cut off. Anyway, go oh, ahead. Oh, okay, okay. So anyway, it was really cold, and I went out, and it was, like, really windy, mm-hmm. and I walked... Well, from Division to Oak, okay. Oak Street. Yeah. And it was so freaking cold. So I turned on Oak, thought, well, I'd go the other. I couldn't. I, I went one building and had to turn back because it was like blowing wind. So oh, I just went home. And, you were trying to avoid the direction yes, of the wind yes. based on making turn. Yeah, that's one of the things with, with the way Chicago's designed. It's just it's just a one big wind tunnel. And it doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Everybody says, well, this street's a wind tunnel. This street's a wind tunnel. Every street's, well, every east-west street is a wind tunnel. Yeah. North-south, I don't know. I, I got some north-south wind every once in a while. But let's start the show by asking you, Nora. Yes. What are you playing these days? Mahjong Dimensions. Okay. What is Mahjong Dimensions? Well, you know, Mahjong tiles uh-huh. only these aren't flat out flat on a flat surface they're a three-dimensional and you can move them around but you're still just matching matching things up okay. except it's three-dimensional right as you go it, it's first it's easy and then it, you know it gets harder okay somebody tried to teach me real mahjong and it was insane it yeah. was so fast and furious and it doesn't have anything to do with matching tiles. It does not. I had a version of that on my Sega Master System back in the late 80s, early 90s. And it was called Shanghai. You organized the tiles on top of each other. It was sort of a... Right. It was solitaire using tiles. So you would randomize the tiles and then you would match them. When you would match them is when you would be able to take them off the board, thus exposing more tiles that you could match. Oh. So it was that okay. kind of... I never played that. And what I've been playing, I just started... Similarly, I guess, there's a new game that was released on Apple Arcade called Pocket Card Jockey. Oh, that sounds like something we used to say about people who put their hands in their pockets. Men who put their hands in... They were playing pocket pool. Uh, does that sound familiar? That does sound <laughs> That's familiar. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> Pocket pool. There's only two. I mean, I don't understand what kind of pool you would probably be trying to be playing with two, right? 
Well, I, I don't know. But I think they, it's more of a you know, snooker. There's only. <laughs> <laughs> but when you talked about the pocket, what a card, whatever. Yeah. That's what it, first thing I thought of. Pocket card jockey. I want to say it was originally on the Nintendo 3DS, ah. but there is a version that just came out that was just released for Apple Arcade. It's basically solitaire. Ah. That's what it is. And the story is you're a character, whatever you name your character, who really wants to race horses. Uh-huh. But you're really bad at it. You try and get on the horse and you die. And then <laughs> you're brought back. You tell your angel that the only thing that you're really good at is playing solitaire. <laughs> so that's what it is. It's a combination horse race looking animated plus solitaire game. Okay. Yeah, it's very okay. weird. I've just played the first tr- training on it. and Oh, okay. But yeah. It's very weird. The humor is very quirky and uh, it's very tongue-in-cheek, silly. I definitely like that. I'll let you know how it is because I know that you have a an Apple subscription. Yeah. I haven't canceled it after three months. Like I said, I won't. But that's part of the scam, man. Yeah, I know. And I'm not going to cancel the uh, Apple TV until the third season of Ted Lasso comes out. Okay. Okay. So, you know, when's that going to be? Yeah, you have those all bundled, right? It's called Apple One, and it gives you a little extra no. saving space, and it gives you a little extra... You get Apple Music, you get Apple TV, and you get Apple Arcade, all for one price. Is the price more than $10? Yes. I think it's 15 Okay, well but then it's all the services. I don't want it. Okay. I don't need the music. Yeah. Um, I have my own music. And so the uh, TV and the arcade are just 5 each, four ninety nine each. Yep. Yep, yep. I, I think when you come out here for a visit, I will give you my controller. Ah. It's a Steel Series controller. It's an older controller, but it does work with the iPads. It is recognized by the iPads and arcades. So an older controller for an older controller. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing how that works out, yeah. 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 <laughs> and I can't wait to make fun of you playing World of Demons. Our show today is on the word Yes. Art. Art. Yes, the word is art. Okay. Since there is so much to discuss, I believe. No kidding. Let us go right to the definition. Let's do that. Okay. You do it. I will do it. According to Oxford languages, even though I keep on criticizing them, I still use them. (laughs) The word art, which is a noun, the expression or application of human creative skill and imagination typically in a visual form such as painting or sculpture, produced works to be appreciated primarily for their beauty and emotional power. And then another version of that is works produced by human creative skill and imagination. Mm-hmm. And another is creative activity resulting in the production of paintings, drawings, sculptures, Yes, a lot of these also have to do with the various branches of creative activities, including music, including dance. Yes, actually, I think art's a diverse range of human activity. Okay, that's, I'm reading that, Mm -hmm. uh, resulting product uh, that involves the same things you said, creative or imaginative talent, expressive of technical proficiency. Mm -hmm. You didn't mention beauty, emotional power, and conceptual ideas. Okay. And or conceptual ideas. But then I was, I got curious about different classifications of art. Mm -hmm. And 
it's really difficult to find because everybody thinks of that stuff. You go to museums to see, right. like, you know, paintings or sculptures or the stuff on your walls. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for more. Mm-hmm. I was looking for, you know, for more stuff. Uh, and I, I found some things like uh, three classifications of art, four classifications of art, which includes literature, painting, sculpture, and music. And I do believe literature and music are art, if it's good enough. Mm-hmm. And then I got to the 13 arts. Okay. Do you know anything about those? No. They're traditional Bhutanese art. Oh, okay. It's something from the Zurich Chusum, which has some, like a Zeni thing in Bhutan. Okay. And they are painting, carpentry, carving, sculpture, casting, blacksmith, bamboo and cane craft, gold and silver smithing, weaving, embroidery, masonry, leather works, and paper making. Hmm. And those are arts. I mean, that's what, you know, when you think of the word art, mm-hmm. it goes with so many things. Oh, yeah. My friend Joe uh, that you met that summer you were here mm-hmm. was at his house. We had that party. He does blacksmith work. He does work with metal and, and things like that. And I see that as an art, and so does he. Oh, definitely. And then there's always Sun Tzu. Mm-hmm. Remember him? The art of war. Right. I was about to get to that part of the definition. A skill at doing something, it's, it's synonymous with like aptitude or technique or talent. A skill at doing a specific thing, typically one acquired through practice. Yes. You said the art of war. The example I was going to give was the art of conversation. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. But I know there's so many others that you could call art. Yep. The art of something. Another thing that I really liked uh, in this same article, I think art, however you see it or define it, is subjective and relative. Mm-hmm. People can't say, well, I know this is fine art because I know art. I went to school, you know, that kind of thing. Right. It is subjective and it's relative to lots of things. Yep. Whether you went to school, mm-hmm. what uh, century it is, where you live, if you live in a cave 10,000 years ago or whenever that was, you know, right. it's relative to so much. Mm-hmm. It's very subjective. Oh, definitely. The tricky part is when we get into the discussion about what isn't art. Yeah. But let me just do the last bit of the word art. We're not going to cover the use of art as far as an abbreviation for artillery, article, (laughs) artificial. (laughs) The archaic art thou. Oh. Yeah. Thou art. It was a verb. In that instance, but I don't think art thou is used currently. Do you? Not by most people I know. No. And you know everyone, so. Right. (laughs) The origin we've got is uh, Middle English by way of Old French from the Latin ars. And ars meant what? Art. Art, skill, or craft. Art, skill, or craft. Okay. Yes. So you have been recently going to something that I think is interesting in the way of art. Yes. There's visual presentations and and things, you know, like the five arts or the four arts or whatever an art is considered. Right. What do you call art? What is your personal definition for what an art is? Well, 
an art or just art? Like an art or science. You can say art. Uh, there's a sort of a functionality to architecture, but there's also an expression for architecture. So you can call it art. Oh, sure. Or you can just call it functional. Right, right, right. And the act of creating that with wood or whatever is also an art. The woodworkers. I think something that you're very good at, which is also subjective, and you've generally done a lot of practice. Right. There are a few people who are kind of savant like in certain things they can just go to it and they know how to do it they, they just have the feel for whatever skill you're talking about mm -hmm. but for the most part it's things you have to practice you have to observe a lot and you know just try things make mistakes practice until you're satisfied with your product so how does that sound that sounds good that's kind of the way i approach the it's basic well, but I mean, you kind of have to start there, I think. I guess, yeah. We kind of have to start with the basic as far as what we consider an art. Right. And then also, what is art? Right. And art can be pretty much anything that's a skill, I would say. A fine skill. I mean, like podcasting. A skill means that, yes, the art of podcasting. Exactly. Which is made up of other skills, such as public speaking. Mm -hmm. There's creativity involved. You have to be spontaneous. You have to do a little bit of improv. Yeah. So there's sort of an acting piece to that. There's the editing part. And for me, there's creating the art. Yeah, you're right. Is part of the art of podcasting to kind of grab people's attention, right? So for the most part, the art for each episode is wonderful. Oh, well, thank you. Are, are they still doing non-fungible tokens? You know, they, they probably are. I'm not cool with selling that. I'm not either, except that that's what it kind of reminds me. They're these little one-of-a-kind things that have a meaning. Yeah. Your artwork. And the inspiration is, is sort of the episode. And so that, it gives me... And this is just more of a personal sort of aside. Right. But I really enjoy doing the artwork for every show because it's something where I can be creative, but I'm still under a deadline and I've got to come up with an interesting idea that references something in the show. doesn't have to, but it's kind of inspiration that I have to figure out. There's a time limit to it. I got to get it out. But at the same time, it's a good exercise to yeah. be inspired by something that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, like it's it's very difficult to be inspired. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever felt that. Yeah. You do crocheting and, and beadwork and all sorts of things like that, yeah? Knitting. Knitting. And beadwork. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that is art. Yeah. Yeah. So when you do that kind of art, uh -huh. if you're following a pattern, ah. is that art? Interesting. Okay. Whenever I knit... Mm -hmm. I follow a pattern. Right. Other, otherwise, nothing would get done unless I make a scarf, mm -hmm. which is you, you decide how wide it's going to be, and then you keep knitting it for as long as you want. Right. So that has to be a pattern for me. Mm -hmm. Jewelry, I look at my beads. I look at my findings. I think, let me make a bunch of bracelets. Uh, what would be good? And I dig around, and that is creative for me. Yeah. Doing jewelry is creative. Now I have done a couple of things off patterns because I, I liked them. 
Right. And so I uh, ordered a pattern for him. But then what I always do is some little twist on it the next time I might make it. Right. Do something different. But but for the most part, it's I do what I feel like doing. If you feel like doing a pattern, that's fine. And if you feel like... Just picking out pretty beads. Mm-hmm. I think some people, when they talk about art... One of the things that people who read comic books, not that you would know this, there is someone who does inking. Mm-hmm. Someone pencils it, and then someone comes by, and it's not always the same person, inks it. And some people think, mm-hmm. oh, that's just tracing. You've got the drawing itself, which is sort of the framework, but you still have to put flourishes, and you still have to fit what the narrative is, and you have to put in action and paint motion and you you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's still, it's not yeah. just as easy as saying you're tracing that. Or it's like a coloring book. Exactly. exactly. When you, you know, when you're a kid, okay, color in the lines there. Yeah. Look, I'm doing art. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, but I mean, there's a skill there, right? Oh, there sure is. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not saying. Were you, were you ever? Uh, no, I see. I'm not good at what people normally consider art. I, could stay in the lines if I really tried. Mm. All the things that are natural to so many people are not natural to me. Okay, so give me some some examples of that. I mean, because you say what normal people think of as art. What what is that? Drawing a picture. Drawing a picture. Just draw drawing a picture. Let's you know something simple. Okay. And I can I can draw a picture every once in a while. It comes out so people can tell what it is. <laughs> Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I my I don't have my my arm doesn't have the right movement. I I don't have the control of the movement as much as I would like for art. Okay. It's just so that's an example. We're not just talking things like limitations due to your fine motor correct skills. It's just it's yeah. it's been like this since I was three. Yeah, right. Okay. In the fifties, paint by numbers were real popular. Right. Because our, the president at the time, Eisenhower, loved to do them, so they became real popular. Mom bought us each a paint by numbers. Okay. And of course, your father did beautifully. Tom, of course, also did beautifully. And Nora's uh, paint by numbers, for God's sake, it's put, getting it in the lines. You know, nobody said anything about mine except your dad. And he said, yeah, yeah, it reminds me of an impressionist painting. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of gives you an idea. Maybe Tom was inspired by Dad doing that when he called my artwork modern. He referred to it as modern art, which, you know, it, I, I kind of, you know, I would do all sorts of patterns and I do sort of tribal looking things and I would, you know, express myself oh, yeah. emotionally and he said in the oil-based pastels on canvas too. I mean, there are some somewhat, you know, some realistic elements, but most of them are sort of oh, yeah. very stylized. But he called it modern art. And the first thing that popped into my head. Jackson Pollock. Yeah, Jackson Pollock. Right. He threw it on the floor. He had his canvas on the floor. Yeah. And he walked around it. Yeah. yeah. And he Jackson blew his Pollock. nose in it and stuff. Or I don't know. What well, I, mean. I don't know if he did that. Mar- Marcel Duchamp might have done that. But... <laughs> So you were insulted. Yeah, I was. But but then again, at that at that age, I was insulted by a lot of things I probably shouldn't have been <laughs> insulted by. 
In my... Because modern art is such a general category of art. Right. Truthfully, your stuff is mo- everything I've seen is modern art. Yeah. In that it's not classical art, mm-hmm. Renaissance art. Uh, right. It's not cubism. It's not surrealism. It's not pop art. No. It, and so, so yeah. it's one of those. It's a modern art that it's that. It's okay. I wouldn't be insulted by it. Yeah, I know. My first response to that was basically, and Tom didn't care, but but it was basically, <laughs> he, he does artwork too, but he's very technical. He likes to, you know, do the thing and reproduce it and see if he can reproduce whatever, right? Okay, yeah. That's his focus, it seems like, the technical side of it. Okay, let me tell you, that is one of the uh, subjects I want to talk about. Okay. It's at some point. Yeah. About Tom and, and representation. Okay. And I don't mean he has an agent. He used to. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, well, I can understand your, uh, at the time, that's one of the things that's relative yeah. about art, time and, mm. and the person in right. time. Yeah. Um, I have this philosophy of art and there's three main ideas okay. or philosophies about art. Can, can I go into this now or were you still? Go into it. I was just going to say with the Tom thing, it's like I was telling him it's technically great. You know, you reproduce this. It's great, but I don't feel anything. I've seen that cover to the National Geographic before, or I've seen that thing before, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it, it wasn't, there, there wasn't anything that made me feel something, whereas my stuff does. That's interesting. That's interesting. Well, in the philosophy of art, one of the ways is art as representation or mimesis. Plato's word is mimesis. Okay. All right. We could call it mimesis, but let's call it mimesis, which means copying or imitation. Okay. If you think back, emotion doesn't have to be part of it. Mm -hmm. The art that I've talked about, technical beauty, emotional power, or conceptual ideas. So it doesn't have to be. Up until 1800s, middle of 1800s, maybe, mm-hmm. which is when Impressionism started, I think, was representative art. The best art, they thought, was the one who could, whatever they were painting or doing or sculpting, make it look like it was real. Mm-hmm. There's other stuff about that, but how faithfully it replicated its subject. This definition of good art has had a profound impact on modern and contemporary artists. Of course, I'm reading. It leads people to place a high value on very lifelike portraits, such as those by the great masters Michelangelo, Rubens, Velasquez, and so on, Mm -hmm. and to raise question about the value of modern art because it's not realistic. So, but Mm -hmm. it's just that's what most art was up until around middle of 1800s. They were copying things. Did they copy them from nature? Did somebody sit for the portrait the whole time? Right. Did they do landscape and just get something done in one sitting? Mm -hmm. I believe even with portraits and stuff, the person did not sit the whole time. The artist did sketches, cartoons they're called. Mm -hmm. And he'd have the person sit for a little bit do sketches, do a main main uh, sketch, and then the model could go away, and then they'd work on it, and then the model would come back, and they'd work with that. Right. So anyway, Tom does 
By the way, all of his stuff isn't copied from pictures. Just want you to know. Oh, no, I know. And he did a couple of things when he came back from Australia. He did some Australian stuff, and that was just out of his brain. Oh, yeah. But a lot of his stuff he copies. He also did some sort of replicas of various, I thought, aboriginal sort of things because that interested him. Yes. Um, and his his Indian pictures, they were right. mainly from other pictures that, you know, he'd seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you might change, might change things a little bit. Right. I asked him to paint a picture for me of a wolf uh, looking out behind birch or aspen trees. Uh-huh. I don't know what he used. He didn't have a picture, but he made a darn good painting for me. That You may have remembered that from when you were here. Yeah. I think Tom, he is technically unbelievable. Very talented. Uh, for me, for me, because I'm, I'm the one who did a paint by number and it came out looking like somebody rained on it or peed on it or something. Paint by numbers is so much easier now with iPads. <laughs> you press the five in here and all of a sudden that is, hello. There you go. Good to go. You're all set. I mean, that's not even relaxing. You know, when coloring books for adults got got famous, I bought a couple. Yeah, I tried them. Yeah. Uh, They were relaxing for about two pages. Okay. Yeah, because people do. But at least your arm's moving. (laughs) Yeah, people do that kind of thing for, not to get into video games too quickly here, but there was a game that I was playing that basically you're, you're doing sort of a painting by numbers kind of thing you do the paint the paint is applied to the canvas but it stays within the lines so you don't have to worry about keeping it within the lines okay and i'm like well okay what's what's the point in that that's just kind of but some people find it relaxing right right some people like those coloring sort of brainless activities kind of thing i guess i like it if my hand's moving you know, I can feel pressure and stuff. So, but that's just me. Sorry, back to what you were saying about the philosophies of art. Okay, we have art as this is the second one. Yeah, there's three of them. There, the first one was representation or mimesis, mm-hmm. which is copying, like the meme. A meme is a copy of something, right? With a little change. Mm-hmm. The very pop art. Wouldn't you consider memes pop art? Yeah, yeah. Because I thought the definition of pop art was that it had to have some sort of a meaning and it had it was kind of you take something that's known and you duplicate it in such a way that Right, right. Yes. Yes. Um I you know what? I was writing some uh art definitions down and I did not write anything for pop art, just Warhol and Lichtenstein is all I wrote. But that's pop art, right? Yeah, yeah, because Lichtenstein did the uh, comic book things mm-hmm. with the, the giant pixels and stuff. Right. Uh, they weren't pixels, but basically duplicating what a newsprint would look like. Right. Is that exactly, that's... exactly. Yes. So anyway, the second art or philosophy of art is as expression of emotional content. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which you uh, said you didn't feel emotion coming from some of Tom's artwork. Right. But you do from yours. And subjective, relative, all of that. But somewhere around the 1800s, um, people started putting emotion into their paintings. From what I had read, 
previous to that, when art was trying to replicate something as closely as possible, but still have paint strokes in it, mm-hmm. um, they, the painters didn't care about the emotion. The, their subject was what was important. Right. They weren't emotional. And so part of the new art starting in the middle 19th century was against that. They wanted to show emotion. Mm-hmm. They wanted you know, the emotion to come out. Um, and Impressionism is kind of like that. Oh, yeah. And then there was the, the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. Of course, you're aware of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. They're, uh, <laughs> they, were, they were probably around 1850 up through the, uh, like, 1900, or in that neighborhood. Dante Gabriel Rossetti, Edward Byrne Jones, William Morris, a lot of people know William Morris because of his patterns that he did, mm-hmm. wallpaper and stuff like that. But he also was an artist. And John William Waterhouse. There's a whole bunch of others. Those are my favorites. Okay. Their art, it evokes, I wish I could show pictures. Yeah. It evokes so much. One of them is June with the flaming hair or something like that. Right. It's a picture, a woman, and it's just her, and she has this bright red hair. And she's looking at a rose or smelling a rose. And it it is so emotional. Right. You know, it just just pulls you in. And that's what they wanted to do. It's like art should show emotion or let emotion uh, define a feeling. Okay. And that's, you know, then that came out as emotional content. Right. And then the other philosophy was art is form. And you kind of talked about that a little bit when you talked about architecture. Right. And there are also things with art as form as far as when you are thinking about how you're going to organize or how you're going to put things or place things or use negative or positive space or, you know. Or that, um, yeah, railroad uh, thing going to the back. (laughs) Right. Perspective. Perspective drawing. That's the one. That's the one. Principles of art and design, balance, rhythm, harmony, unity, they said were used to define and assess art. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. The The form is definitely a big part of what people normally think of as, quote, air quotes, art. Yes. Pictures on the wall, stuff like that. But architecture is art. Ugly architecture is art. Bauhaus. Okay. A, a German, German, plain. You're not talking like... Frank Geary? Have you seen any Frank Geary stuff? Oh, that's not ugly. That's not ugly. Okay. I, I, I love Frank Geary. I do like his stuff because it's very unique and very... Some of it's a little crazy, quote crazy. Yeah. But for the most part, I just think, wow, does he have a, a way of expressing what's supposed to be there? Right. What he did in Chicago, you know, by a, a Millennial Park, the Harris Theater, and uh, all of that around there, what he did made it look like, to me, music coming out of where the theater is, where you go down to the theater. It's the, you know, the big stainless steel, whatever they are uh, made out of, pieces coming out of there looks like a cacophony of sounds. And then he also has a path that goes around Mm -hmm. where you can walk and look over the road that is just beautiful. It goes with the other the other stuff. You're you're talking about the the Jay uh, Pritzker Pavilion. 
Yes. Okay. Well, no, the Pritzker Pavilion is too classical. Okay. This is where they have lawn seating mm-hmm. and it's farther in. Okay. But the pavilion itself was Frank Geary too, right? Yes. It was a theater that does dance and music and just, you know, plays and all, all these different arts. Yeah. And so he has these little peelings of stainless steel, whatever the, whatever the material is, that look like a cacophony of art coming out of the place. Yeah. That's my, that's my interpretation. Cacophony of sound, you mean? No. Cacophony of art. Yeah. Okay. Dancing, theater. I mean, it looks like sound. That's what I was getting at. It's kind of, you know. Yes, it does. And that's what all of them, uh, unless they have a meme, in, um, uh, sorry, a mime, <laughs> a mime in there. Yeah. Um, just going to be. And then he did one in Panama City. He did something. It's like a children's museum or a ch- something for children. Right. And it's different basic colors, uh, squares of this basic color and that basic color. And uh, maybe secondary colors are in there, too. And it's something that kids would look at and go, oh, wow, that is so, you know, and and they'd go to it and they'd want it. So I think Gary has the art of making things to their purpose. Louis Sullivan coined the maxim, form follows function. A rationally designed structure may not necessarily be beautiful, but no building can be beautiful that does not have a rationally designed structure. Now, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know what he means by rationally designed. Okay. So it doesn't fall down. Functional, I think. I mean, it would be rational, yeah. He has some of the most decorative parts of buildings. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean just make a building that won't fall down Mm. because he's very decorative in his architectural um, accoutrement, whatever. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know what he means then. There are other architects who kind of embody that philosophy. I would say Frank Lloyd Wright does that too. I don't know. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, he was much more decorative. If you think of his buildings, yeah, they're functional and their form may follow function, but they're also decorative. Glass rooms over rivers. Right. So, yeah, I don't know because... Mies van der Rohe uh, is, well, he came from Bauhaus, but he moved here, I think, in the 30s, uh, get away from the Nazis. I think he changed a little bit. He wasn't quite as concrete box uh, for building, mm-hmm. but his stuff is very plain. There's, I say, there's apartment buildings on Lake Shore Drive, two sets that have two towers. Right. And he did them both. He made it so on the inside, if you if you, an apartment, you can change the rooms. Sure, you have those posts that have to stay because otherwise the building would fall down. But anyway, you could change the rooms somewhat to make the living room smaller, the bedroom a little bigger. But they're still rectangles. Yeah. Made of glass, so not concrete. Right. We you bring up Mies van der Rohe. Have you seen his chair in the Art Institute? He's got a chair. Uh, yes, except that I don't remember it offhand. The MR20, although it looks like Mr. 20. <laughs> I, because there, during that period, there were a number of arts 
and architecture who did furniture. Did their own furniture for their own houses. Like, yeah. That is something that Frank Lloyd Wright always did. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. He, he definitely. There's even a story about how in, uh, was it, is it Oak Park? Or is Oak, it Oak Park. He had designed a house for a family and the family took all the furniture out and put their own furniture in. And then he came <gasps> back and he put his furniture back. <laughs> kind of thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. He, he, I don't know how much of that is true or not, but it makes. Yeah. I could see that. He, he was a very strong minded person. Yeah. Very strong minded. Do you think that makes a good artist? Do you think that being strong minded is something that's necessary? Necessary? No, it's not necessary. Does it help or not? I don't think it matters. Okay. Okay. I mean, you if you're a good artist, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can, you can be obnoxious to other people, but you're still a good artist. Yeah. You know. You know. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he was obnoxious to people sometimes. I mean, you just gave an example. I have heard that with the the Mies van der Rohe chair, the Mister Twenty. It looks very much like poem chairs that I have from Ikea where it's, it's the, and that's the thing too. It's like, it's a chair designed, it's a rocking chair, but it's not right. It's very similar. Okay. I've got it. I see what it is. There was a lot, actually, there was a lot of architecture going on starting at the thirties up to current, I guess, where people were going for comfort, ergonomic, simple, but comfortable. And this this MR20 looks, I would love it because I like to rock. Yeah. You've been seated in my chairs. Did you like those or no? Yeah. Yeah. They were fine. Yeah, Yeah. because you have this gentle rocking that. Yeah. That's what the Mr. 20 reminds me of. From now on, I'm calling it the Mr. 20. It's like, excuse me, uh, can you direct me to where the Mr. 20 is? (laughs) Where's Hey, there's eight for sale. Hey, ah. look well, at that. Made, you know. But there are uh, there were uh, Le Corbusier or whoever his name was and uh, a, a bunch of other people from that area that did design furniture that was modern, mm-hmm. very much their own. You know, you'd look at it and you'd know. All the different things I see here where the Mr. 20, it's $4,000 for a used. Yes, yes, yes. $2,000. I'll stick to my $50 poong or whatever. Right, right. Get the same feeling from it? I think so. I mean, it, and it does look like a piece of art. It does kind of fit, right? Yes, 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 definitely. Let me just tell a story about this really quick, and then we can get into what you've been doing lately in Chicago as far as the arts are concerned. Okay. There's a guy I work with. His name is Graham. He tries to get people into the TV shows that he likes. And I think you... Uh-huh have watched this probably with your ex-husband or your your former husband, Tom. Yeah, not the ex one, the dead one. Okay. Exactly. Got it. <laughs> your former husband. It was called Farscape. Does that ring a bell at all? No, it doesn't. Farscape is sort of a sci-fi. It's a sci-fi show, but it did have a lot of interesting, like, real people and Jim Henson was involved in it. And there was a ship that was sort of a living kind of ship. So they built this very complex marionette puppet uh-huh. kind of thing. And they had something that looked a little bit more Muppety as one of the characters in the show. Uh-huh. That character, whenever he got scared, he farted and he farted helium. 
Oh. Everyone's voice would, it's like, whoever thought of that, that's, you know, that's comedy gold right there. It is, it the is. Farting helium. I looked it up and it looks like something Tom would have watched. Oh, yeah. The big ship, the pilot. That it was a very unique puppet. Yeah. Now, whenever Graham suggests a, you know, as it turns out, um, the people I worked with didn't like the show. I did enjoy it for what it was. Okay. Um, but he brings up a sci-fi show. I said, you know what would make this sci-fi show better? Puppets. <laughs> so that's our joke. Yeah. You know what would make this a better souffle? Puppets. Puppets. Yeah. Well, hey, it's for chef puppets you were talking about. You've been seeing puppet shows. Anne and I, it, we have an international puppet fest almost every year. The pandemic took a couple of years out. Right. And I've been to most of them, parts of them. They have so many different shows to choose from, but it, it's puppet. They're all puppet shows. Okay. Now, don't think marionettes. Don't think somebody's hand up somebody's body and, you know, moving their face. Right. Not even Muppets, but sometimes things kind of look like Muppets, yeah. Right. Just There's just so many different ways of using puppets in this, quote, theater. You see the people working the puppets. Sometimes they're behind the puppet there, and you can see them. But they're working the puppet, and they're, it's so good, you're into the character, and you just forget about the guy, you know, standing behind working it. I don't, there's just so many... So many different ways. Oh, yeah, we saw Moby Dick. We did see Moby Dick mm-hmm. with puppets. <laughs> and I don't, you and I mentioned Muppets. Right. And I mentioned it to Anne. And so we, we started thinking who would be, who would be uh, Ahab and who would be Moby Dick. Quay, quay. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, not, yeah, yeah. So we were having fun with that. Of course, the play was very serious. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it cut a heck of a lot out, but it was good. It wasn't as dynamic as I'd like. So far this season, I haven't seen many dynamic ones. Was there any uh, Japanese bunraku? I think it's pronounced that way, bunraku. They don't have that this season, and mentioned it. But we're going to something that's Japanese uh, Sunday, I think. But I don't know what it is. It's akin to kabuki kind of... I remember one time, you know, dad took me to one of those ones where it was a Japanese sort of puppet show uh-huh. kind of thing that ah. they had some that were like shadow puppets too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in there too. Shadow puppets are there too. So then also you've got other arts as a part of the skill of, you know, manipulating and, and generating feelings from something that doesn't have any feelings and being able to, you know. Right, right. That's an interesting sort of thing. Making an inanimate object live. Right. Yeah, show emotion and stuff, yeah. Yeah. So that is definitely an art. Did you see any bad puppet shows? Oh, you betcha. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I won't mention any. I mean, I won't mention names. Yeah, don't mention names, um, but just tell me, like, what makes a bad puppet show? Okay, when you can't see it because it's too small. Okay. And it takes place at the front of the stage. So if you're in an audience... You can't see the thing. Mm. That that makes a bad one. Plus, the story is me. So, so um, logistically, it was it was not done properly. Right, 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 right. Um, May have been very very beautiful detailed puppets, but it just wasn't. Right, 
Right. Yeah. right. May have been. I don't know. Um, same thing as plays. You know, if the story isn't there, mm-hmm. if the story is not done well, if the story is stupid, okay, I hate to use that word, right. but that makes for a bad any kind of theatrical production. You can still appreciate the pieces for what they are, right? As far as even if it's a bad. Definitely. Because that's, I bring up Tony Scott. I love Tony Scott's work, but there are some movies that he did that were horrible. However, amazing looking, just like the way everything was in the movie itself. Yeah. Story was horrible. Acting was semi good, but the actual cinematography portion of it was just amazing. Uh Uh Uh-huh. So there are pieces that you can appreciate within something like a a puppet show or a play, right? Definitely. Um, Yeah, yeah. Which is similar to video games, I think, too. Is is there a whole bunch of different arts that are kind of wrapped up together? You've got story. You're interested in story. Some people aren't. Mm -hmm. Getting it to the game to work in a user-friendly way. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's important. Oh, yeah. Um, Do you think that anything that requires some sort of problem solving or creativity to come up with something is an art? What is your thought on what is not art? I'm trying to think of something. Because I think there's a lot of flexibility with what is art, especially given those three traditional Pretty much anything you could put into any one of those categories, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, see, I was about to say pouring a glass of milk isn't art. But yeah, it, it could be. Somebody could do it in such a way that it's beautiful and it doesn't splash and, it, you know, that kind of crap. Right. The stuff that you put on a latte, the, the latte art. Oh, yeah. My friend Paul, who was recently on the show. Yes. He... One time, I got a drink that, you know, you, you put a, a dot of foam on this drink. And that's that's what you're supposed to do at the, at the top of it, and put a dot of foam. Yeah. And what he ended up doing accidentally was you try to put the dot of foam, but it ended up looking like being a penis. Yeah. <laughs> so from that point forward, I said, I want that design every time <laughs> on my beverage. So then from that point forward, people had to try and make a penis on my <laughs> beverage. Although the first thing, it wasn't art. It was an accident. Right. But then trying to recreate that accident. That's artistic, right? It's artis- artisan. It's Art- like an artisan doing work. Okay. So you don't think that making a design, I mean, you're making a design on something. Oh, originally. Oh, no, yeah, you know, see, here it is again with the pouring the milk. Yeah, it is art. It is art. Because you, even if you do the same thing every time, the, the fact that you can do the same thing every time you know, is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on performance art? Okay, are you talking about theater or are you talking about art installations that yes. people come and do stuff in? Right. There was this like Christoph or somebody who did, uh, you know, like put curtains around New England or, so. I, I, you know, I, that's not what he did, but it wasn't in a room, but he'd do things, he and his wife would do things outside. Generally, he worked with fabric, like curtains hanging. Okay. Covering things in plastic wrap might have been one of them. I don't know if that's considered performance art because people are interested in seeing him do it, but it's not in a room, you know. Here's the one that I was also thinking of, Dred Scott. 
Dred Scott's uh, What is the Proper Way to Display the U.S. Flag was that the book, and then it had the flag on the floor. In order to sign the book, you had to walk on the flag. Oh, I did not know that. And there was a big, yeah, there was a big uproar over that. And I wanted to say that that was at the Art Institute. Yep. It was a student exposition at the Art Institute. Yep. Wow. Got a date on that? The date on that is 1989, February of 1989. Okay. No, I did did not know that. Interesting. People would think that that's so bad, especially then. The generation before me, and even quite a few people in my generation, Mm. would uh, think that that's a horrible thing and the people should be thrown out of the country or whatever. There was a lot of that talk around that time. I don't think that was his real name, Dred Scott. He probably changed his name. Oh, I wouldn't think so. (laughs) Right, right, right. Back in the early 70s, when I was first married and living in Chicago, I bought a pair of jeans that had the flag design, white stars on blue and red and white stripes. Mm -hmm. And my mom thought that was horrible. Oh, yeah? That I would be wearing. This is like in 1970. Okay. She thought it was like really denigrating the flag Hmm. that I'd have it on my body like I was making fun of it or something interesting so I know you know what that reminds that reminds me of this horrible movie from 1981 called so fine Hmm. when you were saying you go to the store and buy the jeans you know how they had um, designer jeans in the 80s and they were all super freaking tight yeah 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 Ryan O'Neal was the I think the the main guy in it oh my yeah Um, basically he had this pair of jeans and as it turns out, put on the jeans, but he went out and the split, there was a split right in the butt cheek area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that became the style. He started selling, uh, Uh, jeans with, with a clear plastic portion over where the butt (laughs) split. And that was the whole, my gosh, what a weird, dumb idea, but. But things happen that way. Yeah. But that, yeah, that, I don't know if that would ever happen. Might be. So. People are nuts. Is that art? Nope. <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> I mean, someone came up with that story and thought that that was clever. I was going to say, you know, I was talking about stories not really being done well, mm-hmm. whether writing or presenting. And I think that's a case <laughs> story being, here's my favorite word, stupid. Yeah. Unless you have something to say more, can we talk about video games? One thing, when I looked up photorealism. Oh yeah, Chuck Close. Yeah, Chuck Close. Fantastic. Fantastic. Talk about things. Anyway, they said the most important part about photorealism these days is video games. Oh yeah. Let's see. They... Photorealism challenged the long-held notion that the use of photography and artwork was cheating. Mm. Oh, okay. And I guess the with the video games, the art, in some cases, they I think they mentioned, uh, oh, what's that? Grand Theft Auto, that's it. They mentioned that and how cars got better mm-hmm. and you could see them, but now they're working on things that look, it's going to look like a video. Of it. That is a stylistic choice. Some games do have that. The The characters look very realistic. They take images of the person's face and they can move it and it just looks like they're acting. 
I mean, it's pretty amazing what they can do these days. Yeah. 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 Even down to expressions that express emotions. I mentioned the game Horizon Forbidden West, and there are scenes in there where you can kind of pick up different subtle facial expressions that give you a a sort of an a view of what that character is feeling which was not something that happened five six seven years ago right oh yeah like in in older older verse 10 years ago maybe but i mean that that whole thing where it's not just a movie it's not something that's recorded although that is art this is graphics that kind of represent humans and they walk around like they would normally walk around realistic looking movements as opposed to yeah right right so realism as the computers go on and and how complex they are on the graphics cards and so on and so forth right there's a very noticeable difference in the graphics on the playstation 4 and the playstation 5 ah okay and a lot of that the realism is part of it now to me it's a stylistic choice i it's not my preferred choice there are certain games where it makes sense to use realism and i don't know why it's just something it seems more yeah creative i guess to use a different style that's not just a movie i mean what do you what do you think you're playing a game Mm -hmm. and so it's not real right so maybe you don't want it to look completely real because it, it's a game right. and you want the characters to, so you know that they're characters, cartoon characters. Do you suppose manga will ever go that way? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's... That's the joy of manga, though, those, the characters as they are. Yeah. Like I said, stylistic choice, right? It's a stylistic kind of look. I did show you a couple of videos of games that I really enjoy. One of the companies that makes these games, um, I sent you a video of Odin Sphere, Leifrasir. Yes. It originally came out on the PlayStation 2. And the scope of it exceeded the capabilities of the PlayStation 2. What they wanted to do wasn't quite exactly what they were able to do. So there were certain things in that game where it disrupted the the flow of the game. It's a very action-oriented, side-scrolling game okay. with hand-painted characters. But because there was a limitation on the controller and being able to select things you had to pause every time you wanted to select something new. So it wasn't a fluid sort of movement. So when they re-released this, they took the base bones of the game and the story, they added a little bit more, but it was relatively unchanged. In fact, you can play the original version the way it was on the PlayStation 2 and see how, how much of a difference there is. That's included in the game. Oh. But the new version is so much better. It's like, this is what they wanted to do from the get-go. It seems like that. Did you see the artwork? Yes. You mentioned that that looks like that has a manga kind of style. Definitely. Definitely. Maybe not as much as some of the others, but definitely. I'm assuming it's Japanese. Yes. The company is Vanillaware Limited. Japanese video game developer based in Osaka, an independent company that was founded in 2002. The company founder was uh, George 
Kamitani. Kamatani. Okay. Uh, George yeah, Kamatani. That sounds good. He had a career in video games before he created Vanillaware. He worked for uh, Capcom and in their arcade days, uh-huh. worked on a lot of video games and that. He left and then he became sort of a freelance artist and worked on a game called Princess Crown, which released for the Sega Saturn in 1997. And it was a flop. Now, (laughs) was it a flop because the Sega Saturn was a flop? You can argue it, I think, because it it only came out for that. It was perceived as such a flop. He was basically blacklisted from the industry for a very long time. Right, right. Nobody wanted. Yeah. And there was an intention to make a, a, a game that like, was a sequel to that on the Dreamcast, but it was canceled. Basically, his work disappeared between 98 and 2004 because of that. Yeah. As he continued as a freelance designer, he met with another artist and they struck up a friendship. And that's where they came up with this idea for using hand-painted images. Ah, the first game that I That's, remember from them. Yep, go ahead. I don't understand hand-painted video game images. Think of it as, you know, like those Monty Python flying circus things? Yeah, yeah. Think of those as hand-painted. So it's like the actual character itself was taken from probably a scanned image or a number of scanned images that were painted as opposed to put into a a computer so so they by hand okay. painted it's like the the art itself is is made by hand not necessarily through the computer by hand okay but by hand and then probably scanned in by hand by hand yeah okay okay then you could manipulate those images in the computer software but originally there's another game that, that Vanillaware did. They did that. They did a, a side scroll and beat em up kind of game that I really loved called Dragon's Crown. Right. There was also a game that came out in 2020 from them called 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim. Oh. I may have talked about this on a previous show. There's a type of game called a RTS which we may have covered on our acronym show. Uh, Which I don't remember what it is. Real-time strategy. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of real-time strategy, but it's also tower defense, where you've got a certain location that you are trying to defend from other things coming in. And the main gameplay mechanics are all about this real-time strategy more. You've got certain pieces where you unlock various mechs and various other things and you gain points and access to different types of weapons and things as you're playing through this visual novel. Uh Uh-huh. And it also, again, had these beautiful hand-painted backgrounds and and hand-painted characters. So that's Vanillaware, and they're also, they just announced somewhat recently that they've got, it's a teaser, but it's so ridiculous. It's like, yeah, that looks great. It's just a, a dude in a field who's like a knight, and then it pulls out 
And then there's a big shield that's kind of got a dragon in it, or it, but it doesn't give you the name of it. It doesn't tell you anything. It just, uh, I hate it when those the yeah. teasers. You would think that teasers would want you to go to what they're teasing you about. And if they don't give enough information, it's not going to work. In advertising, sometimes it's about the shock. It's like, what are they going to do? True. You know? There's a TV show that you need to look up on one of the streaming services called Better Off Ted, if you didn't watch it originally. No, I didn't. Better Off Ted is sort of a workplace comedy kind of thing. Portia de Rossi is one of the main characters in it. Also, this dude named Jay Harrington, which was one of my friends in high school, but he's not that Jay Harrington. Oh. <laughs> it's got all these crazy sort of situations that are happening in this business, and it's it starts out with various commercials they're saying ridiculous things but they're serious about you know it's like they're commercials for the company right but they're not telling you anything about what they're doing what they're putting out what it is it just says you know imagination so and so this company you're going okay what (laughs) is that (laughs) they had a show about this thing that they were calling jabberwocky where it's like have you heard about the jabberwocky jabberwocky and everyone's going oh yeah jabberwocky and no one knows what it is and there's it's not really anything it's just jabberwocky i'm really excited about jabberwocky yeah yeah which is a lewis carroll thing but still right 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 where the hell was i going (laughs) (laughs) this company vanillaware it's an artistic style that i think is very beautiful it's almost like looking at a painting that's how beautiful it is Okay, okay. This Odin Sphere game, Aegis Rim, same thing. Absolutely beautiful. The uh, interaction, the visual novel portions of the game, there's some very minor puzzle solving that goes on in 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. It's minimal, but also very beautiful. Right. Even the real-time strategy game, which is sort of a wireframe-looking vector graphics kind of presentation is beautiful uh-huh. uh-huh i'm really looking forward to what they have in store for us coming up on the next gen systems i sent you a few cell shaded game videos as well yes was there any one of them uh that kind of jumped out to you um not more than world of demons oh yes it opens using what's exactly like the wave, uh, the painting by Hokusai. Oh, okay. Who's the painter again with that? The wave by... Hokusai. Hokusai. It, yeah, the great wave off Kanagawa. Okay. But the beginning of it looks so much like that. And it's, it's like one of my favorite paintings. Oh, yeah. But, uh, so, so I like that, of course. Uh, and they do have a lot of Japanese stuff in here writing on the walls, uh, houses that look like they might have paper walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, that's kind of interesting when you're not in a field of ribs right. with um, skulls around. <laughs> right, with all those crazy <laughs> things that you got to fight. Yeah. Something that looks like a giant nose. And it's like, well, I'm fighting this thing. It's a demon. Okay, all right, well, fine. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but yeah, it, and it's... Here's the other thing, too. If you look at, it looks like it's on paper. 
So if you look at the background, like when it's on the screen, it's almost like it's on parchment. And so the the, yeah. the way the things are moving, it, it moves in such a, a way that it, it looks really unique. Like if you were to look at a painting and if that painting just started moving, you know, just like yeah. animated itself. Yeah. So it's got a very interesting look that way. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. It was really cool. And when I get you your controller to use for Apple Arcade, yeah. you will be thoroughly confused. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it is beautiful. It's beautiful to look at. So also another one of those things that I know we talked about on a previous show, cell shading. Yes. Are you familiar with what cell shading is? Well, you've explained it to me. But at my age... You need to explain it to me again. Again. Well, okay. And then I'll go, oh, yeah. It's a way of representing three-dimensional objects in such a way as to make them look two-dimensional. Where you use chunks of color, Okay. the shading is what makes it look more like a cartoon. Okay. Gamesly try and use things that are shaded in such a way that can look like cell-shaded graphics. But the key part is... When you have an animation that is the shadow itself, it's like the sun is shining and it casts a shadow. But as people move, as things move in the background, right. the shading changes. Yeah. That's what makes an actual cel-shaded game. Okay. A lot of other people don't think so. It's the comic book look. But the game credited with being the first completely cel-shaded game is Jet Set Radio. Oh, okay. It's a very flashy kind of action-oriented game where you and your gang of... Ne'er-do-wells. Yeah. Well, ne'er-do-wells. Yeah. And, you know, they are street artists themselves. They do all sorts of tagging and things. They ah. tag up various parts of Japan, which are actually based on parts of Japan. Shibuya, Show, and Tokyo Toe. These are areas in the game. Okay. But they represent iconic areas. Okay. It is the first game that used that as a style. And since then, a lot of other ah. people have used that style. One of the more contemporary, domestically designed games, Borderlands, Borderlands 2, a lot of people don't like the style of Borderlands 2, which is a cell-shaded sort of thing. Ah. Um, but it's very much, you can totally tell, a Borderlands game because stylistically, it looks a certain way. Hmm. So cell-shaded, it's a stylistic choice as long as it fits in with the context of the game or the feeling of the game, like that whole thing with Jet Set Radio, which is about these street punks who are supposed to, who are trying to take over the territory and rescue the listening public from an evil radio guy or whatever. Ah, okay. <laughs> there are interesting things where you pick up tags and you do things to make your tags part of Japan. One of the gameplay mechanics that I was frustrated they took out of the sequel which is you would use your thumbstick to when uh -huh. you would when you would um, you go to a spot on a wall and you're supposed to tag that spot. Uh, you had to perform certain joystick movements with your thumbstick. You had to do things like quarter circle, full circle, up, down to do the spray painting of the wall. Yeah, you wanted to string them all together and not make any mistakes, and you got a higher score. But while that was happening. There were people chasing after you and trying to stop you from doing what you were doing so you could be interrupted. 
but they took that all out of the sequel and you know so oh anyway. okay but it was a fun unique looking game that i really loved also japanese yeah i think i probably should go live in japan <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I love Japanese games. I mean, they're just so Maybe. great. So those are two art styles that I like in video games. Do you have any? Also, yeah, go ahead. Well, well, as, as we're talking about the uh, Jet Set Radio, I find a lot of graffiti pretty artistic. Not all of it. But uh, I think, I don't know how they do it. How do they make it so good looking? Yeah, well, I mean, it's like anything else. There's a technique to it. There are spray nozzles. There, there are different things that you can use to yeah. to basically make the shapes look the way that you want them to. It's not just using a spray can, right? You use it in a creative way to, to make things look like they do. Graffiti itself is very interesting sort of art form on its own. Yes. And I think, you know, not to get back into pop art or to Andy Warhol or anything like that, but Basquiat, Basquiat had kind of a style that was very graffiti looking. You know, his paintings were very graffiti looking. Right. But anyway, your closing words oh. on the word art, your words of wisdom. Art is truly uh, in the eyes of the beholder, to use old cliches or whatever. Mm -hmm. Who are you to say that is not art? And so much of it has to do with time. Mm -hmm. You know, something that's very expensive at one time won't be later. Does it make it art if it's expensive? It's all subjective. Yeah. And there's so many things art can be. Exactly. It's like we could talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a debate to be had as far as, you know, we could have gone longer on what is art, what isn't art. But I think there's a piece. Oh, yeah. My final words are there's a piece of art. Part of it is balancing various artistic elements. But the balance of those yes. artistic elements, as far as video games are concerned, are is an art in itself. Yeah. But each piece can be a piece of art. Right. You can talk about things like your Jackson Pollock, where... If someone thinks that that is, or that evokes an emotion in that person, right? I don't personally think it is art. However, I'm not the person right. who is perceiving that art. Yeah. So as you said, subjective. Part of it is the intent, but also part of it is what does it evoke in the viewer? Yeah, I agree. And so create your art and don't be ashamed of it. Well... <laughs> well, I mean, if you enjoy being ashamed of your art, fine, I guess. <laughs> it's an art to be ashamed. <laughs> I've been using that art for decades. Yes, the art of shame. Ashamedness. <laughs> Nora, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode on the word art. I loved it. Me too. It was thank great. You. On that note, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Too Vague Podcast. My name is Ben. And I'm Nora. And we've been your hosts. Have a wonderful night. Bye. Bye.